Well, hello, everyone remaining. This is still the Friends of the Show podcast, year 2014. It's almost over, so I guess we should get one in here somewhere. And that laugh you hear is faithful Friends of the Show podcast guest, Brian Geiler. Welcome. Hi, how are you? Great to be back here at the uh, the Friends of the Show. This, it's been a long time. It's been a long time. Have we done a post-marriage podcast yet? I don't think we That's have. That's what I was trying to figure out. Because you're married now. I mean, you're as right. married as they get. That's what I was trying to figure out, and I'm not entirely sure that, that we did. But We had a lot of lead-up discussion. We had the one in the car on the way back from Maryland. Yep. And I don't know if we've done another one since <laughs> that's, then. That's like what's pathetic about this is we don't even yep. remember the last time. that The last time happened. we did one of these at all, I believe, was when Josh Grimmer was, was here. like the Thanksgiving around that area. With that the, was the during football. high school football season. Right. That was ages ago. And, yeah, so here we are. A bunch of stuff's happened in the, in the meantime. Got to get to the first one, though. I just We just have to dump this out, and then we can be friends again. Okay. Why do you hate John Farrell so much? Oh man, yeah, I was really, ju- I was really dumping on him last year during the World Series. You're comparing him to Grady Little. On yeah, Twitter. it was. What, I, why, I don't know. Why? He just, I thought some of the stuff he was doing was driving me crazy, and it's, and it's so far gone now that I don't even really remember the stuff that pissed me off. But I was, yeah, I was all over that dude. I really didn't think that he was that good a manager, and I really thought that they won the series in spite of him. And then you were like getting mad at people that were getting mad at his not winning manager of the year after the series was over. Like yes. You were still I mad got really even though they won. Team. Terry Francona took like a, sh- a shit squad Indians team with like That's Jason true. Giambi coming off the bench in the ninth inning every night and got them into the playoffs. Like, give me a break with with John, you know, John Farrell with this, whatever. I mean, he did do a, a good job, but I don't know, whatever. You know, I, I'm sorry, John. So you're not giving him credit for what was left behind. You're not really factoring in 2012 at all right and i i feel like i had said this a few times last year that you know i don't give you credit for just showing up and doing a decent job because like anybody could have followed bobby valentine bobby valentine was doing a terrible job i feel like probably 28 of the other 29 managers could have shown up and done a good job. that's a fair point although wait a minute there's not 30 teams in mlb there's 32 right no there's still 30 there's 32 in the nfl okay all right well whatever anyway sometimes it feels like there's 32 in baseball because there's so many pitchers that can't pitch the good point well exactly because they yep. need to contract teams but they'll never do that anyway so yeah i mean i guess i should apologize to john farrell but i really just didn't think he, he did that good of a job like if colton wong doesn't get picked off you know that's true uh, whatever it's not a big deal congratulations to the red sox uh, for winning the world series but hey didn't, we won't nobody saw that. that coming yeah yeah so there's that. We got that out of the way. Let me just... I'm going to throw out a disclaimer here, and this is one of the few times where you and I have really basically discussed nothing that we're going to be talking about beforehand. Mm-hmm. I just want to throw this out there. We're not talking about Donald Sterling on this podcast. No. We're, we're not talking about V Triviano. We're not talking about... Uh, what are some of the other things that we're definitely not going to talk about? Uh, we're not going to talk about Michael Sam. We're not going to talk about... Uh, Soccer, except we are going to talk about oh, soccer. This is the first time that probably we that we're ever going to talk about soccer. Yeah. Every other podcast, it's like blacklisted. Yeah, that might come up today before this one is over, but I think we'll stay away from uh, all of that in general. Because and I, it happened with Sterling. It happened with the marathon as well when the anniversary came around a couple weeks ago. Everything that could be said got said. And then you in just like five minutes, all these other outlets that right. just said something for the sake, sake of, saying of saying something it. because it they sucks. felt like they had to. Yeah, that could old. And fast. you just couldn't get rid of it after a while. Yep. 
Is that just going to be the way it is with every yes. major thing for yeah. the rest of our lives? <laughs> Social media won't let anything right. die, so there's always going to be this you know, huge, huge thing. I mean, there were... I don't have a problem with marking the anniversary. I understand that. I'll never know what it was like to be there. I'll never pretend I know what it's like to be there. But, like, let those people have their time. Like, let the people who are involved sure. in this mess do their their diligence in, in getting, you know, this... whatever they want to do out of the way. And, uh, you know, unfortunately what we saw was just... Everybody had to chime in. Everybody had to have, oh, w- where were you? You know, as much as, like, everybody riles against uh, Dane Cook, and I, I'm not a huge Dane Cook fan, but he did have, like, one album that I thought was really funny. The album, and one of the bits was about, you know, when a, there's a car accident in your neighborhood and every, everybody comes out in the street and it's like, oh, what were you doing when, the co- when, the, when it happened? Oh, I was in my house and I was getting ketchup out of the fridge. And, like, it was like that. It was like every, you know, every Southie resident, every Quincy resident, had to like have this, you know, interview. Had to have a microphone stuck in their face. Where were you when the bombs went off in the marathon? I don't give a crap where no. that guy was. I don't care. That's one of the things that annoyed me. The actual day of the bombing. We're doing this from my place in Hyannis right now, and I was actually sitting right there at that computer where we're recording this podcast when things broke. And I was just amazed by the initial fallout of just person after person on Facebook that I knew. Any, there were a lot of people who lived even not that close to Boston, like some people that lived a half hour or better outside, that just posted these posts of "I'm, o- you know, don't worry, I'm okay" <laughs> to everybody. Good. Like, uh, congratulations, I guess, <laughs> but I wasn't terribly worried about you. It's like the bomb, the bomb, the bomb site was contained to like a like a two block right. radius, and you had people out in Weston going, "Don't worry, yeah. safe." Like, it's like okay. <laughs> Anyway, I mean, I don't know. We probably have already dedicated too much time to that. But, yeah, we're, there's just certain things that just drive you you and me crazy, and that's the sort of stuff that, that just drives me crazy. Well, what else is new in the world since we last got together on these airwaves, cast, pods? Peyton Manning blew another Super Bowl, which, sure was, did. which was tremendous. Yes. Did you fall for the Mark Cuban, I bet a million dollars on a safety on the first play hoax like I did? Yes, I did. I did. 100%, and I'm not afraid to admit it. Just, it just totally seemed like the most fitting thing in the world at the time. I have something that I do want to talk about. What's I'm that? glad you just reminded me of it, Talking now that we're talking about football. You and I never got to publicly state how much we love Richard Sherman and what yes. he did. I'll tell you something. He has been a favorite of mine for a little while. Not that long, but maybe like two years yeah, that's since a lot longer he's than me. really entered my consciousness. And I really liked him because he was vocal, as we've all learned, <laughs> but he was unafraid to play against the best. See, that that's a problem with a lot of corners and wide receivers is they all talk. It's not just Richard Sherman that talks. They all do. But not all of them are willing to compete against the best and prove that they're the best on a regular basis. And that was something that he boasted, claimed, and backed up on a regular basis. And I, before the, the post-game interview blew up on YouTube, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I imagine you probably were watching I the did game. not Most watch it live. Were. I watched the game. And then when the game was over, I muted the TV and went in the kitchen and got, and got myself a snack. Yeah. 
And so I didn't, and I came back, and Twitter, in that like three minute span of me going into the kitchen and making myself a sandwich, ah, I came back to my couch, and Twitter had blown up with this thing, and you had texted me, and you were, you and I were interacting, and you were like, you had, so I ended up rewinding my TID, I have a DVR, I rewound the TV and watched it, and was like, holy shit. That See, was I, awesome. I was watching the game live with my dad, and we watch a lot of games together, and we a lot of times have differing opinions on players. That you saw, sometimes I will really like a guy, my dad can't stand him, and sometimes things are reversed. <laughs> but Cra- Michael Crabtree is one that we completely agree on. We both hate BPS Michael Crabtree, and we have his whole career. Yeah. He hasn't been playing that long, but I just feel like he's a baby and that he's overrated, and he's definitely talented, but I don't think he performs to the best of his ability, and I think he does a lot of whining. So when that play happened, prior to the interview, prior to the game ending, the Fox camera, like kind of unintentionally, they were just trying to show a wide shot, shows Sherman chase Crabtree down across the end zone to get in his face and just give him more crap about how he just lost but the he also, to go to the Super Bowl. Well, yeah, but if you listen to the to the mic'd up audio that they have on NFL Network, he actually ran over and said, good game, good game, good game and stuck yep. his hand out right. to shake his hand. Right. It just which looked like he was being a wicked douche, classic, which he kind of was. Which is just classic Richard Sherman yeah. behavior. And then, of course, the post-game interview, it was what it was. Well, I thought it was hilarious. It was like, but hilarious. Even, I mean, before I saw anyone on the internet reacting to it, I watched it over and over and over again and just thought it was hilarious. But I also thought that he had gotten ejected from the game, which I guess did not turn out to be true. Who, Crabtree? No, Sherman after that, because they, they definitely... But the game was over, wasn't it? I, mean, uh, I think there was, was a like, maybe like a kneel or something. I guess it's not that important. No, no, he, he, didn't, get, he didn't get ejected. He, he got a, they threw a flag, I think, for Unsportsman like, when he went over to him. I think that's what it was. I think that was what it was. But usually, I think they, I think the referee took his notebook out. Is what happened. And usually, yeah, when whatever. the notebook comes out, somebody's getting run. But it didn't happen in that case. Um, <laughs> the reason I love this guy is because I re- I appreciate. See, you're you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't in this in this business the way it is right now. Because if you if you don't say anything and you act like Josh Beckett. You get crucified by the media. Yo, right. He never says anything. He won't even meet with us. This is ridiculous. Blah, blah, blah. And if you say too and if much. And you spout off like Sherman did, everybody says that you're a punk, you're a prima donna, you're all thug or whatever. And, and the way I look at it is you can only talk like that if you back it up. Right. And if you're and he 100% backed it up. That was a hell of a play to end that game. That was not a routine play that he not made to stop that pass. That was, that was outstanding football. So if you're going to be like that and you're going to talk like that, Fine, back it up. I got no problem with that. It's the guys who, it's the guys who pimp the home runs. You know, it's the the punch and Judy second baseman that hits a home run and pimps it out. That I go, come on, man. Like, don't you know, cut me some slack on. I mean, I mean, give me a break on that. Like, I'm because I won't cut you any slack on it. It's ridiculous. But it amazed me how like the line between reality and fiction can blur sometimes. That game happens. That game ends, and they had. They had already made the decision prior to that game being played that they were going to hold off on premiering his new Beats by Dre commercial until after that game was over, betting that they would win and they'd be going to the Super Bowl and that he would be visible. Now, they had no idea that it was going to end the way it ended Is that and the he one would with be the there you by himself. Yes, but prior to that, prior to that, it's 
it starts with a whole bunch of reporters around him at his locker asking him about being a thug, asking him about how much he talks. It was just like the whole thing had been, you know, obviously acted and staged and recorded well before. But it ended up just being absolutely perfect when they actually ran it out. And another thing I guess that's new is, what is this? Have you seen the story? I have not seen the story. Apple has apparently bought Beats by Dre to For the like, of like a billion, a billion dollars. dollars. That is the height of insanity. Too. Well, I was, I was actually r- was riding with an, with an individual who was somehow whiter than I am the other day uh, for work. And he said to me, oh, I, I, he was like, you know, looking on his phone while I was driving. And I said, what's going on in the world? And he goes, oh, I'm just on the Globe website. looks like uh, Tom Brady and Giselle sold that mansion out in California. I was like, oh, yeah, anybody buy it that we know of? He goes, yeah, Dr. Dre. I go, what? What did he pay for it? He goes, $50 million. And I was like, Dr. Dre has $50 million? Like, holy crap. And he, and he goes, well, yeah, Beats by Dre. And I'm like, wow, this old, like, 50-year-old white dude, like, but it's because he has kids, and his kids want Beats by Dre. Right. So, like, he knows what it is. I mean, I don't I don't pay attention to it because I don't really care about glorified headphones. But I, you realize, like, how much money a guy like Dr. Dre has just because... I mean, I'm sure he has tons of royalties from the music and stuff, but stuff like that. I mean, it's like, it's like his own form and grill. The thing that amazed me, it is, but the thing that amazed me around Christmas time was when I was doing shopping, and I, I did most of it. I did all of it on Amazon, but I still walked around stores from time to time, and... I just thought of how much the world changes without you noticing until you certain things kind of bring it into focus for you. And I was walking through a Best Buy or some kind of a place like that, and it, it dawned on me, right now, headphones are more expensive than computers. I mean, can you imagine if somebody had gone back 15 years in time and told you in 99 or 2000? No, no not at all. That headphones which were basically being given they really were they were being given away for free you was pre-ipod you would buy a disc man and the disc man came with free headphones yeah and computers were anywhere from a thousand to three thousand dollars depending yep. on where they were computers are almost free now relatively speaking you can get ones that are much more capable than the ones we used then for like 300 bucks and and you're right i, I didn't even notice that will cost you 350 I didn't even notice that. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing how, how much thing, many things, like you said, that used to cost so much money, cost like nothing. And and just as sort of an unrelated side topic here, I drive by liquor stores and things, and I see signs that says beer is cheaper than gas. Don't. It's not. Don't. That's not true. A gallon of beer is not cheaper than a, a gallon of gas. I guarantee you that. So why do you? Where say? can you find a gallon of beer for like three fifty? You can't. Anyway, sorry. That's just to get <laughs> off topic. But, but no. But along the, along those inaccurate. lines, along those lines. I was listening to one of those just stupid generic morning radio shows, and they were having one of those like impossible questions, and it was an extraordinary price for some kind of a liquid. You know, what's more expensive than gas? More expensive than crude oil? More expensive than more expensive than more expensive than bottled water? Well, it wasn't that. The answer was actually printer ink. If you oh, buy yes! printer ink by the gallon, oh it would my be God. something like hundreds of dollars. I spend so much. It's like sixty bucks. Right. It's unbelievable. And I was in the aisle at BJ's just the other day, and similar to the computers and the headphones, you can now buy a printer that's probably as good or better than that one on the table for 50 bucks. Right. They're really cheap now. Yeah. And, the ink and the ink is, is more like than 70. That. Yep. It's way more than that. That's how they get you. Exactly. Man, that's diabolical. You're right, because yeah. every time I go and buy ink, I'm just like, like, do I have to mortgage my house to, get to buy it? What the hell? I mean, it's insane. Uh, but anyway... 
Yeah, I wanted to get Richard Sherman out of the way because I I remember like when that sh- when that stuff was going on, I said to myself, man, next time we do a podcast, I have to vocalize my appreciation for a guy like that because if you can back it up like that, that was hilarious. Don't you ever talk about me? Who was talking about you? Crabtree. <laughs> that, could could Aaron Andrews have done a worse job with? Well, Devin, see, everybody gave her crap for saying who was talking well, that about. That question you. was begging like, to be was, asked. Well, right. Like, what else was she supposed to? I didn't know who he was talking but about. But how do you not do anything after that? I understand that no, you have producers well, they, that you answer yeah, to, that's and what you've they got said. people they said in your that, ear. That the producers t- told her like no more. Like they thought they thought the interview was going to like a really bad place. Um, and listen, we could talk for an hour about about racial code words like thug and, and, and like how I know that that is legit and the people who got upset that about that had every right to get upset about that because that was crazy. If he was yelling at Solomon Wilcox, nobody would have said a damn word. But Right. You know, anyway, but that's a whole different topic. But So what else is new Richard in Sherman. the world since last October? You know what else is new? We've talked about this a little bit. Those highway signs that are everywhere now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Telling you the number of minutes it's going to take you to get to these various places on the road. We both liked them at first. The last time we had a conversation about them, we had a positive talk about them. The news stories I'd heard was that they were, like, testing them on the Cape first, with the idea being a lot of traffic's coming here this summer, and then if it went well, there were going to be more. But apparently that turned out to not be the case at all, because these things are everywhere now. I guess the very first ones were on Route 6 here, but then shortly thereafter... You're seeing them everywhere. Well, they're right? all over the place, okay. yeah. Which is good. So, yeah, I like them okay, but I had a sign lie to me one day a couple weeks ago, and it made my life very difficult. I had gotten myself trained. We've, we've had this conversation a few times over the years about how, as we've gotten older, we've just done more and more things that Will Bussier has been doing forever. <laughs> yeah. I've trained myself to start listening to the traffic on the threes on mm-hmm. WBZ because leaving from here in the middle of the afternoon to go to the Boston area to do games, just the number of traffic variables from here to there is just insane, and you have to plan for it right away so that you can avoid whatever you can avoid before it gets to be too late. So they'd... I don't know, had they stopped bridge construction for a little while early part of this year, or was there just so little traffic that it didn't matter? I don't remember. I can't remember. But it wasn't a problem until recently, and then it was a problem, and it's been a problem. So I've been listening to these traffic reports as I would leave here in the early afternoon, usually from school, and then plot my course accordingly. But we had a week off, April vacation, Patriots Day and after, and I had all the time in the world to get to games, so I sort of fell out of that habit. First day back, I had just forgotten to listen to the report, was already past exit two, saw... This, well, it was just before exit two, I should say, because I saw the sign. It said five minutes, five miles to the Sagamore Bridge. I said, no problem. Only to shortly thereafter get stuck in a four bleeping mile backup. Mm. Terrible. I ended up getting to the game like 16 or 17 minutes before the first pitch. Was late setting things up. Made all kinds of mistakes in the first couple innings of the game. It was bad. It was really bad. It happens, you know. I mean, so what do you do if the sign lies? How can we ensure that the signs won't lie. You don't do anything. I mean, there's nothing you can do. I don't know what to tell you, John. Aren't you doing some other stuff? Don't you have an app or something? I have this app. It's called Waze. W-A-Z-E. Mm-hmm. One, of my, one of my accounts got me involved with it. Uh, they f- Somebody bought them. I don't know if it was Facebook or Google. Somebody bought it for like, you know, a billion dollars or something stupid. And it's an app that it's user-generated. So it maps everything out. And there's 
certain amount of people who are using it and you call it up and it hooks up to your GPS and while you're driving let's say you're driving down Route 3 to heading to Boston you see a police officer on the side of the road at one of the exits just you know is a speed trap you hopefully wait until you're out of sight of said police officer pick up your phone and you can enter that there's a police officer there it takes basically two clicks and you can enter that it's there what that does is it alerts other drivers who are presumably behind you that there's a speed trap there so someone's like you know driving from the cape to boston oh let's see what route three looks like oh it looks like there's a cop and then it'll also while you're driving all of a sudden the, the little icon will pop up and it'll say you know police in 75 feet or you know 750 feet or whatever it also is really helpful with the traffic because if it'll if it senses that you're in traffic it'll say are you in traffic you know are you in heavy traffic or whatever and then you can put in standstill construction all sorts of other stuff it's good it's not always accurate i mean there was i was driving down to the cape on friday and there was a you know speed trap up in a thousand feet got there guy wasn't there he'd already left so i click not there and then hopefully it removes it from the thing it's gotcha. a good it's a good app it's not i'm not as in love with like my wife loves it she thinks i got her on it and she she uses it every day and thinks it's the greatest thing i will i used it for like a month like consistently and then just kind of stopped using it i only use it maybe one out of every four or five times that i drive now but it's a decent app i'd recommend people check it out if you do a lot of miles and you do a lot of highway drive it's not it's, it doesn't really help you if you're driving through like the back back roads unless there's like maybe you luck out and somebody's got it on and there's some construction going on that you can avoid but it's really it's mainly a highway thing um, so you maybe you might want to check that out but you're i mean you're screwed if you're if you, a lot of the stuff that you do is well, involves 128 and you just can't win with 128 ever right. you know and if you're so whether basically whether you're going 93 north like up to the tufts area or whether you're going 128 north up to you know Waltham or where it, you're screwed. There's like no successful way to do mm-hmm. that unless you leave it like on a Saturday when there's no traffic. Another thing that's new, it's not exactly new, but it's newer or new again, is WEI has fired just about every human being remaining at this point. Wow, they are a disaster. They'd let a bunch of people go by the last time we had done our podcast. Somehow Dennis and Callahan still have a show. They still have a show. Your friend Kirk Minahan remains on in an undefined role as a third person. It remains on a television simulcast every morning, which still just boggles my mind. But they recently got rid of all of their Flash guys, yep, including friend of the show Mike Riley, who has landed on his feet on weekends over at 98.5, we're proud to say. Good. But also, they fired John Ryder last week. Yeah. What the hell? They did that because they had to uh, keep Mike Montnansky, who was terrible on the midday show. Why did they have to keep him? I don't know. And I'm not saying that as a criticism of him, but it was the weirdest thing about all the stuff they've done is, remember, we were actually doing the Eye of the Storm back when they did the big reshuffling in 2011 where they more or less got rid of Dale Arnold even though he stayed on there at the time. They took They him broke up the only show that they had that was that was not uh, sucking wind in the ratings, right. Dale and Holly Middays. And they which was also going up against the most vulnerable show that the sports hub had. Correct. So it was really one of the dumbest ideas that anybody ever had was to break them up 
But when they did that, their whole thing was like, we're going young because 98.5's kicking our asses on younger listeners. So we're taking this young-ish guy, Michael Hawley, and putting him with Glenn Ordway, and we're making this young guy's show in the midday, Mike McNasty and Lou Merloni. And basically just that show never took. I mean, I've listened to it a little bit. It can be best described as not bad. I, w- I, exactly would, describe like it, I would describe it as boring. Right. Like consistently. I mean, there are worse shows out there. If you listen, especially if you listen in other markets, there are worse shows out there. But that's not saying much. I never really thought that Lou was great on any really platform that he's ever been on. It was amazing just EEI's complete refusal to admit a mistake there. Mm -hmm. Like, even worse than a general manager with a draft pick. They just, for whatever reason, this guy who had a fraction of the following of other people they let go like glenn and like pete they just they are keeping this guy around keeping him around keeping him around even after jason wolf got canned they still wouldn't break up the show and now they have but they're keeping him on and apparently and they're can't adding make room Christian for him and Ryder, who is fourier who is terrible See, I, w- I like him. Oh, really? I See, but I, I, I but liked him even back when he was back when he was with the Patriots. He used to do like correspondent stuff for Channel Seven. See, I'll say I this: really I that. haven't heard him on the radio in in years. Mm-hmm. What I'm talking about when I was working Dirty in Nesson, he TV? came. No, when I worked in Nesson, he came in as we, they were trying him out as like a Patriots guy, and he was so bad. Like it was like everything. He was like trying to tell these stories, and it was really weird. He was talking with his hands a lot, and it was. Just Bizarre. Yeah, he's a goofball, and it was and, and so it I wasn't like informative or funny. So I just right. assumed that he'd be terrible on the radio. And maybe he's gotten better since he. I mean, this was you know this was like six years ago. So maybe he's gotten better. But John Ryder had been there for sixteen years, so good. almost the entire time that they were relevant, he was always good. He was never on a show that demanded ratings. It's not like he mm-hmm. was the guy that was losing the mornings or the guy that was losing the afternoons. He was either on in the evenings. Or he was hosting the pre- and post-game shows for originally the Celtics and then most recently the Red Sox. Why would you ever get rid of that person? Like he he was the one person there that had a following, was not required to deliver ratings, and did a great job and was there forever and put up with all the other nonsense that's gone on there. I mean, every time you think you've hit their last straw, they find another ridiculous thing to do. Well, I, I think the the worst one for me, the one that made me really realize that there was just no going back for them, was when John Rich, who I really Oof. who I really liked in the pregame postgame right. role, but didn't care for doing the play by play. I thought he was fine, but I just was like, whatever. I don't think you're that good. When he did, when he elected to quit broadcasting Boston Red Sox baseball and go back to school, right. They were pay- They offered to pay him so little. They offered to cut his pay so much. Right. That he said. That is known as a haircut. That in he the radio said. Business, by the way. I can't. I did not know that. Mm. But that he decided to say, you know what? I have this great job calling Red Sox baseball on the radio, and I'm going to quit. It's not that great because it's not paying me any right. money. That I mean, that really. You think about all the people in this in the business who you know you you were telling me something like that Carl Bean got paid something like like thirty dollars or fifty dollars a game. I believe for, it was for, fifty a game for Red Sox when and he was doing the And the replacement the PA. is definitely getting fifty a game. Right. So the like replacements. You, well, you think about that. I don't. You know, you idiot. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that kills me, is that, you know... Like, I get... You hear about all these people who sacrifice to do, for the love of it. You know, Carl Bean certainly wasn't mm-hmm. getting rich doing this the Red Sox thing. You know, that's 50 bucks times 81 plus whatever you get for, you know, playoffs or whatever. Right. He did a better job making himself... Marketing right. himself as the voice of Fenway Park, and he went out and he Gotta did your do banquet, or he did your Hall of Fame ceremony, or whatever the case might be. Yep. That was how he really made money in that capacity. Mm-hmm. Which, but, yeah, right. more power to him. And, and that's, but it's sad that a guy like that has to do that. It is because Quite. he's not getting paid enough money. And what's really, really frustrating about it is, you know, you hear stories like that, and you go, "Man, this guy couldn't even stay. He couldn't even like." tough it out and find a way to make it work mm-hmm. it just wasn't even close to worth his while so he just quit that's so pathetic i thought EI it was hilarious like how nesson ended up using him yes. to broadcast games later on that year yep. when they were replacing remy i said the r word again here i don't know if we're going down that road today you know that's actually funny i hadn't even thought about about having a conversation about that you and 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 i and your parents had a very long and detailed conversation about that a few months ago when when, uh, when that um, you know, five-page Globe expose came out mm-hmm. about Jared Remy's lifestyle through the court systems and all that other stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean that's probably one of those topics where we, we we might have to save for another time. But yeah, that that was great when Nesson brought him in and had him filling in because I think he did like two games, but it was great. Right, it was the last. It was almost laugh, like a really. big fu to right. EI. Like this guy can still do, do games, and I for bet sure. you they paid him more than fifty bucks. I'll tell you that. Probably. How are you liking this year's crop of people that they're shuffling through there? We've had Derek Lowe a little bit. We've had uh, Psycho Lions a little bit. Derek Lowe's terrible um, on the air. I mean, I thought he had some interesting stories, though. Right. Th- well, yeah. I mean, stories are fine, but yeah. you know, from an analytical standpoint, he doesn't do anything. Um, you know, Lions. You can tell Lions has been doing it a really long time. He's he's good enough. I mean, he's sure. not. I don't think he's great. But like he's he's like a fine analyst. He does a fine job. He cert and I. But I will definitely say this. And maybe we should talk about this. You can, from day one, it has been a noticeable improvement in the effort by Jerry Remy on these telecasts. Is that right? He has okay. not. He has tried so much harder this year. You can just tell. He has tried so much harder breaking down plays, talking about things. He's a little more rah rah now than he was before. It it was definitely you know I think he feeling he, the fire he, he knows that thing. he knows that you know this this could end at any any point and he doesn't want to give them any reason or any excuse to to let him go. It's really a shame that it had to come to that. It's very it's very that. unfortunate that mm-hmm. it had to come to that, but it's notice like I noticed it, and then about two weeks into the season, like um, you know Chad Finn wrote something in the Globe about it, who was like, hey, anybody else noticed that Jerry Remy's really like putting in a lot of effort this year? You can tell. Right. And I mean, it was, and people were all commenting. Yeah, noticed it. Absolutely noticed it. So I was glad it wasn't just me. But you know that that whole situation is really insane. And uh, yeah, man, we could do a five-hour podcast on that someday. Just to circle back a little and finish the thought on Ryder, because he was a favorite of mine. I used to listen to the Celtics on the radio pretty faithfully. I still do, but a couple of years ago, I used to do it all the time because I was going to bed really early at night and could not keep my eyes open long enough to watch games on television is basically what it was. So I'd put it on the radio, (laughs) fall asleep, be in and out, in and out, and wake up toward the end of the game. And that was the last couple of big three years were all kind of the same. And how they did in the playoffs went a little differently every time. 
But really, the last three years all started with a horrendous beginning of the season, followed by stabilizing a little bit, and then they always ended up finishing okay and making at least a decent playoff run, but they always had in there some just downright alarming games, like, wow, these guys are really old. This is going to be over soon, and they would get blown out by some team that never would have beaten them four or five years ago, and they're over the course of the run, just some individual, just really, really, really bad games that really scared you as a fan. And after all of those games, I just used to love listening to Ryder on Celtics Rewind. He <laughs> With would, the callers, right? The people that would call the Celtics postgame show were just, I mean, they were a special kind of ridiculous sports right. talk radio caller, like even distinguished from the clowns that call normally. Like, they would all have these just bewildering blow-it-up plans that just that made no sense in guys that they were going to bring in at the Celtics, and they didn't have a dream of ever getting. <laughs> and a lot of times they were drunk when they called, or they didn't make sense, and the, they, would, they would try to get in arguments with him over it. And he would, al- <laughs> he would always just, like, dismiss them, but he was, like, so sarcastic and funny about <laughs> it at the same It was my favorite thing on radio. It really, really was my favorite thing. I never wanted the Celtics to lose to a crappy team by 25 points. But when it happened, those shows were just absolutely priceless. I'll never forget that. I just don't think there's any way that whoever, the, you know, whoever they roll that. out to do it yeah, now will ever match it again. I really just don't think so. Well, it's uh, it's it's uh, your boy there. It's the midday dude, Mutt yes. So, uh, speaking of uh, that create, I forget what I was gonna say. Go ahead. <laughs> For the longest time in 2014, I had not seen you. Period. Podcasts. Yeah, we went a long while without seeing each other. And then the first time we did see one another was when the damn Canadians got us again. Not because Canadians with an A, not an E. Yeah, the Olympics. Sad that we have to make that particular distinction. This was the semifinal game of the medal round. Both times Carey Price was involved. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. So this was a Friday afternoon, if memory serves? Friday afternoon. uh, I believe it was a noon or... A noon. There were a lot of goofy start times in there, but that was also. I think that was during February school vacations. It was. That worked out really well for me. I was able to watch a whole bunch of that tournament, which was good because I was broadcasting hockey games at the time. I'm a lot more comfortable broadcasting hockey now than I was before this year. This year was like a big breakthrough for me. I was still stop shy of calling myself good at it, but I'm definitely better at it. Good. And getting being able to watch all those games definitely helped. Cause I, but I was doing games at the time, and that was really helping me, was, was like learning the lingo and stuff from watching those broadcasts. So I watched almost that whole tournament. But, yeah, so we met at the Fours in Norwell, did. which a lot, of people, spot. a lot of people probably don't know that the Fours in Norwell exists. A lot of these bars in Boston are really kind of expanding. The Cask and Flagon has one in, Ma- Marshfield. in Marshfield. It's huge. Yes. And this Fours that we went to had a really good, decent-sized bar, too. Big Shills there. Remy's has one in Somerset. Oh. <laughs> floor of mass. Um, we saw a guy there who looked like who you thought was was Kurt Schilling. You were convinced it was Kurt Schilling for a while, and then I just wanted it to be <laughs> right. after a while. I knew it wasn't, but I still wanted it to be. He looked a lot like him. <laughs> you a were convinced like it was him. the Big Shill, so we were referring to him as Big Shill for the rest of the day. Yeah, and, and then it, it ended up sucking. They ended up losing, which was how about terrible. when I almost knocked over that gigantic waitress tray of Ooh. like fourteen people's entrees? Yeah, this woman was walking behind us. We were. See, we were I obviously didn't see it happen, or it wouldn't have happened. You 
must that have was, witnessed it. So give the oh, eyewitness account of what went down. This woman came by with like the biggest tray of food I've ever seen. John and I are seated seated at the bar. In like high top. Like I was, the, I was like the third chairs. one in the bar. I got to the bar at like 11.30 and I was like, wow, I can't believe there's nobody here. This is great. I have my, staked out my, I have my pick of the seats. I made sure I, I told the, the bartender you were coming. She put a menu down in your place so that like nobody would sit there or whatever and then by the time you got there the whole entire bar was full there was only basically like one seat left and it was the one next to me so it worked out um but this woman came walking by had the biggest tray of food i think i've ever seen in my life like balanced on her shoulder and john like halted backwards in a way that i swear to god i don't and she almost dropped all this food on the floor it was they they didn't have really any good scoring chances in the game but you still wanted something to cheer about. There was a real, real lack of things to get excited about over the course of that game. It was Canada scored early, and then it was just this march to the finish where you more or less knew they weren't going to score. Yeah. But they had one that was like kind of a good shot that made you think maybe it would go in. I think it was just a really fast shot from a bad angle. And But I was just so desperate for something to cheer about that I was like acting like it was a close, closer call to being a goal than it actually was. And I remember I crossed my arms over my shoulder and just leaned back in the chair a little bit. So I came off of – I was still on the back legs yeah, of the chair. I like came off of the front legs a little bit. Like it's something I do watching games all yeah, the yeah. time. But I don't just, ever Just usually have not like $80 <laughs> worth of food on a tray behind you. It was at least it. that. It was probably – it was a huge tray. Oh, my God. And, and, and there was like and there was like a collective like oh from like me right. and like you and the waitress right. and then like three people who were at the high tops behind us were I all was like oh. very fortunate that that didn't take a time. I mean, what would have happened? Well, people were I mean, already pissed off enough about the, the way the game was going that you if wouldn't you had have been like able to walk that no. whole stre- stretch. We're talking like chili nachos. All those know, people soups, would have had to have all their food replaced. Crocs of chili, you know, things like that, all sorts of stuff. Oh jeez. But anyway, so that sucked. So we we did that. And then, uh, yeah, that was the first time I think I even really saw you in this calendar year. Was that was in what February? The, the Olympic that break was in was February. late February. Yes, so it had been a while. Do you think NHL players do the next Olympics? You know, I really don't know anything about this. I, I like try to pretend I know about, and I really mm-hmm. don't. Like you had um, somebody got hurt. Tavares. Tavares from Rangers. Long Island, the Long Island uh, uh, Island. Oh, the I Islanders. Said Rangers. New York ah, Islanders. I was wrong. Um, he's the best player on the on the Islanders for yes. sure. Tremendous talent. Uh, he got hurt and was done for the season. And as soon as that happened, there were all sorts of people who were saying, "That's it. That's that's what's going to do it." Straw that broke the camel's back. No way they're coming back. But I still talk to people who, I mean, talk to. I still read people who think that you know they're, they're probably going to potentially go back. From what I gather, the thing they're more concerned about. More so than the Tavares injury or the potential for injuries is the time difference wherever this is going to be next. Where is it going to be? Like so it's in oh, Asia forget. somewhere. Yeah, I forget. China, South Korea, something like that. Whatever. We'll talk. I'll Google it. But anyway, the time difference is going to be such that you're not going to have the potential for primetime games or anything close to it. And so the thinking is... You know, the reason we've loaned these guys out for the Olympics the last few times is not out of benevolence. It's because we want promotion for our players and more interest in our sport so that when the games resume, more people are going to want to watch. But they've had a very hard time pinning down, 
you know, are television ratings actually getting better after the Olympics because of the Olympics? Are more people buying players' jerseys because they saw them play in the Olympics? In a guy like Oshi Pyeongchang, right. uh, South Korea is where the Olympics are. There in we go. So everybody wants to think yes because that kind of makes you feel good. Well, but that's the thing. There's not really any definitive proof. Right. Of that. The NHL. I think that's the thing. The NFL. The NHL wants. They want. Something the per, the per, that was the perfect situation when they beat the Russians and they and they have that rule in the NH, in the Olympics where you can send out the same guy for multiple shootout shots. Right. And they sent over this guy TJ Oshie out who plays for the Blues and he went like he did like the last five shootout goal. I mean it was incredible. It was the sort of stuff that like heroes are made of. And if they had somehow gone on to win the gold, Oshie would have been a legend for like the rest of time for for winning that game for them. I think we can all agree that it was disappointing that the U.S. didn't medal. However, we can all agree that Russia can go f themselves. Mm-hmm. What a what a colossal failure that hockey team was. So at least we got that going for us. That we certainly do. And if we are going to talk about the World Cup, this is probably the best jumping point we'll ever get because they're similar in the sense that you've just had a gigantic boondoggle of construction that won't ever be used for anything else ever again in the case of Sochi, where they basically constructed a fake city so that you don't see the real Russia in 2014. And it was this classic left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing while everyone is protesting stuff that they had kind of propped up as just some decoy attention grabber stuff for the Olympics. They're in taking over a sovereign land in Ukraine. But again, we'll probably leave that. That's been discussed about as much as it can be discussed. but Almost as much as the Malaysian aircraft, which we will not be almost discussing. Almost as much, almost as much. And we come to learn today, I learned it today, the story's been out there for a little while, and I guess if you've been paying attention, you might be known, know this for a little longer than we've known it so far, but it's 2014. A lot of people in this country seem to like to think that slavery was something that was abolished, with the Emancipation Proclamation and, you know, the Civil War was fought and the Union prevailed and as such, we no longer have slavery in this country and the rest of the world is more or less fallen in line. Not if we're playing soccer. True. Come to learn that, I'll say it because nobody else appears to be willing to, slaves are building the stadia in Qatar for the the 2022 (laughs) World Cup. We are doing construction eight years out in advance of a tournament that will take one month, eight years from now. By conservative estimates, 950 people have died in construction work already. These are not. And we have another ten, uh, eight years to go. These are not local people. These are people that are being pulled in from places like Bangladesh and Pakistan, who are being brought in by, like coyote slash headhunters because they are just so poor. miserably poor poorer than anything we in this country can imagine that they are willing to do anything and try anything to try to provide for their families apparently young healthy people are dying of heart attacks and other formerly healthy people at least in mind are killing themselves just because of how desperate the situation is ladies and gentlemen FIFA you know, you and I spend a lot of time dumping on the NCAA yes. and how fraudulent and we could probably do some of that on and the show too. corrupt and all that. And you think about all of the companies 
the you know Enrons, the the NCAA, the um, when you say companies, you of course mean corporate champions. Right, the co- corporation, big corporations is what I'm getting at. But corporate think about champions. all these things who we view in this country as you know um, scandalous and uh, you know a pre- like the NCAA is one of the most corrupt things. In the country, for sure, and you th- and you look at that and you go, "Wow, that's really corrupt." And then you, you read the article which you linked me to today via Twitter about what FIFA is doing, and you go, "Oh, this is even worse. This is like one hundred and fifty <laughs> times worse than anything the NCAA ever thought about doing." So, I mean, and now, John, I have a very long and well-documented history of shitting on soccer. It's one of my favorite things about you, honestly. Just, I hate soccer. Because every everything. once in a while, I'll get weak because I do broadcast some soccer games as well, and I've gotten to know... There are very good people that really like sure. soccer. Sure, And Our friend of the show, Brian Doyle, huge soccer Right. Fan. And the, everybody else seems to get swept up in it when the World Cup comes around. So it's kind of hard not to develop at least a curious interest. But you always kind of keep me strong and steadfast <laughs> in my hatred of soccer. It's so bad. My, ch- my chief reason for not liking it is the, is the scoreless tie situation. And, and this was always why I didn't like hockey. And I always explained mm-hmm. it. People would say to me, well, how, you know, why don't you like hockey? And I'd say, because there's, we live in a world where you can go to a game pay all sorts of money, watch 60 minutes of action, and leave a 0-0 tie and just expect to go out into the world and say, okay, whatever. It's no coincidence that I started liking hockey When they rectified that problem, right. So, you know, maybe what I'm saying is maybe if soccer got to the point, but and I understand that this World Cup BS and all this other stuff that they have doesn't, they don't end in ties. I get that, but it, it, still, it, it still chaps my ass. And the whole, the whole diving thing. You see diving in a lot of sports. You see di- a lot of diving in hockey now. You see even some diving in football and some other sports like that. And and certainly the NBA. Certainly the NBA has just turned into a farce. And I feel like all of that crap started in soccer. All of the flailing, all the, that that shit that LeBron does every night, where he'll just drive the lane and then like throw his hands up in the air and like dive out of the way when he's impeded. That, like, all that crap started in soccer. And, like, it just made its way over here. And then the more crap I read about, like, you know, they're, they're still throwing bananas at black players, like, in Europe. They're still, you know, throwing fireworks and flashbangs and grenades and shit on the field. And you're, like, what? you? It's disgusting. It's the most disgusting group of individuals. I'm not, not necessarily U.S. soccer fans, but, like, the European soccer fans and all of that. Disgusting, disgusting people. And... This is such a, a crazy story. Like, what can FIFA do about Like, they have to, like, stop. They have to st- just cancel this 22, 2022 thing, right? Like, they can't have it there. You would like to think, but it just seems... And it's a problem with the IOC, too. The Olympic Commission is known to be incredibly corrupt and that the, there tends to be a ton of unnecessary construction that gets done for unnecessarily high amounts of money. It, it, it's something that's tied into, it come, It stems from a place of you, me, and everyone else, we like sports and we care about them. We want to see the games and we want to see the best players play on the biggest stages. And because we all share that interest, 
there becomes an opportunity to take advantage of that to the tune of huge, huge, huge money. And it happens on a lot of different levels. Here in this country, we have stadia that get built with public funds to the tune of ridiculous taxes on local restaurants, on local hotels, on people that live within certain blocks. The block best one, of course, being the Miami one where that guy tricked the entire <laughs> city of Miami into funding that Marlins ballpark. I still can't believe that happened. But yes. <laughs> and then, and then brought in Burley, Heath uh, Bell, and a bunch of other dudes, and Jose Reyes or whatever, and yes. said that this was going to be and this is our one new, year later sent them all, all to Toronto. <laughs> Hilarious. And when that drum gets beaten here in this country, it's, you know, taxpayers are on the hook for however many hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, the reason it's that much is because we're paying the people that are actually doing the construction a just wage wage. for what they're doing. (laughs) No kidding. Like, for as bad as the backdoor politics of it might be, at least the people that are banging the nails and running the drills, they're actually getting paid real money. I don't know of any scandals on quite this level with the Olympics, but I know that it's often very crooked. And in the case of Russia, it was extremely crooked on who got the construction and, you know, railways that were built that didn't need to be built and things like that. And that's going to happen in cases like this. But and it seems to be that's just how FIFA and the IOC roll and they don't answer (laughs) to anyone. It's unbelievable. So there's no real need for them to do that. It's a really tremendous world that we're living in here, John. But just remember it. when we ha- We're going to have a World Cup coming next month. For those of you who are inclined to watch that sort of thing... Keep it in mind. Please keep in mind that this is the same organization that is having slaves build a stadium in Qatar right now. Yeah, unbelievable. Well, guess what? You know I won't be watching. It has nothing to do with Qatar. Right. It has nothing to do with, sl- with 950 slaves dying. and everything to do with the fact that soccer sucks. And if you like it... There you go. God help you. There's also one thing that we haven't gotten to. Very important thing that we haven't gotten to. Well, we always save the best for last, right? We do. And I don't know how willing you may be. I know the hour is late. But right before you got married, we had an anniversary of the terrorist attacks on 9-11. Yes. And friend of the show, Bobby Valentine, weighed in (laughs) with a retrospective on that event. Do you think there's any chance, I know you have his number in your phone, could we perhaps get in touch with him to go over what that was? I know he's very busy down at Sacred Heart. <laughs> they won their football league this year, thanks to him. All right, yeah, let me see if I, let me see if I can patch Bobby through here. All right, hang on. No, I gotta let take me get over to the computer here because I want to get up the story in question so that we can... Feed some information to Bobby as he comes on the show. But let's take one quick break, and I'm really glad we're going to be able to set the record straight on 9-11 once and for all, really covering it all, solving all the problems of the world today on the Friends of the Show podcast. All right, looks like we've got him. We've got him. I'm glad to see this. Bobby V has been a friend of the show for quite some time, had a regular installment back when he was managing the Red Sox. The Red Sox, of course, made the unfortunate decision to go in a different direction, but Bobby has landed on his feet, now the director of athletics at Sacred Heart University down in his hometown of Stamford, Connecticut, and he's been picking up some gigs with NBC Sports, I believe with SNY. He's been doing some stuff with the Mets. He was on TBS there for a little while. But no longer, and we'll get into that in just a moment. I'd rather not talk about the exact reason why I did not get kept on by TBS. Hello, John. How are you? Well, I'm great. I'm always great whenever you're here. But 
in fairness, that's really the biggest thing we want to talk to you about here because back when you were manager of the New York Mets, of course, we had the terrible attacks on the Twin Towers in 2001. You, of course, come back and you play that big first game out of that big long break. Mike Piazza hits the incredibly dramatic home run, and everybody will remember you and your baseball team fondly for that. But it seems like that wasn't all that was going on at that time, and you wanted to set the record straight once and for all. Well, let me explain to you, John. All I said to our friends over at WFAN was that when 9-11 happened and they canceled all these games, all of a sudden you had several dozen athletes uh, on the New York Yankees and the New York Mets who were stranded in New York City, who had nothing to do. And so me, being the type of person that I am, I said, hey guys, we got to go out, we got to go help these first responders, we got to go help them clear some of the debris down at, at Ground Zero, we got to go to hospitals and food shelters and all sorts of other stuff and just lend a helping hand. And the bottom line is, John, when I was out doing all these good deeds, I didn't see one goddamn guy in a New York Yankees hat. And that's the bottom line. I mean, that's, the, that's all I said. I don't understand why it was such a big deal. I think that the comment that might have gotten me in trouble, John, was I said, and I'm paraphrasing here, I said, listen, it was about the time where I was rushing into the South Tower when it was on fire that I looked around and I said, well, where are all the pinstripes? Am I the only one who doesn't see any pinstripes here? Okay, so that's, listen, I guess maybe I shouldn't have said that. But as you know, I was, uh, I was very instrumental in helping, you know, several uh, hundreds of people evacuate the South Tower before it collapsed. Right, so obviously hundreds of people owe their lives to you to this day. And uh, I imagine it must have been pretty sickening to watch Mariano Rivera out there on his going away tour last year, getting all these prizes and all these presents in all the different cities he visited when you know that you know he wasn't rushing into any burning buildings like the New York Mets were. No, as a matter of fact, he was rushing home so he could throw relatives of his into a pool that was filled with power lines so that they would die. So, I mean, all I know is that I've saved hundreds of people's lives. Mariano Rivera has killed two people that we know of, John. So, you know, I, I guess uh, advantage Mets, okay? Were you in the hopper for any major league jobs this past hiring cycle? Uh, several, as a matter of fact. Yeah. I believe that there was a job opening up with the, uh, with the uh, well, uh, let me think about this for a second here. I can't really remember what sort of, uh, I believe Seattle had a vacancy. They, they reached did. out. They chose to hire a minority candidate, Lloyd McClendon. Good for them. That's great. No, no problem there. Who wants to live in the Pacific Northwest anyway? Now, a lot uh, of, there are a lot of Red Sox fingerprints in the Cubs organization now. Is that a job didn't that you want any part of that. No, didn't want any part of the curse. Also, uh, Jim Leland retired, a good friend of mine right. in Detroit there. That was a very attractive uh, destination for Bobby V. A lot of talent on that team, a very well-established team already. Not a lot of work to have to be done. But, you know, the bottom line is, John, like I said, Bobby V will not be managing unless the time is right and that the situation is perfect. And that's just not something that I saw this past offseason. You've said that all along. But you also said that you also would have won the World Series last year had you been manager of the Red Sox. I just wanted to give you an opportunity to speak to that because a lot of people are saying, you know, oh, well, clearly you were the problem. You know, you leave, John Farrell comes in, they win the World Series, so it must have been you. But, uh, you know, that's obviously an oversimplification at best. John, I have been accused of hacking into Brian Geiler's Twitter account during the World Series and, and, and throwing some grenades at, at John Farrell's uh, direction. But in all seriousness, I, uh, 
I think that I absolutely, not only would I have won the World Series, John, but we would have won a lot more than 96 games or 97 games or however many games John Farrell won. Uh, you know, I, I predicted this for 2012, and I, and I would have gone ahead and predicted it again if I was hired for 2013. 106 games, maybe 108. That's what we would have won. And then we would have won the World Series on top of that. You probably would have gone 11 and 0 in the playoffs. Yeah, right. Much. What's with all those losses? Come on, six games to beat the Cardinals. My God. So are are you enjoying it now? You're over on the SNY side, so you get to be the no, one that sucks. criticizes no, the terrible. manager. No, the, the the role reversal doesn't no, do awful. anything SN, for you. Nobody watches SNY. They cover the Jets and the Mets. I mean, who the hell would watch that? No, I mean, it's it's awful. It's Fair point. I was supposed to work at TVS. They got a little myth that I made that South Tower comment. Whatever. Now, you're pretty well positioned in Stanford. Everybody and their uncle is moving their television studios into your backyard. Are you throwing some business cards around? Uh, as a matter of fact, I am, John. That is why everyone is having me involved at NBC Sports Network, as you mentioned. I'm hanging with my boys down there at Sacred Heart. Uh, there's no limits to what you're going to see from Bobby V in the near future. And there's another company, John, a very well-known company that resides in Stanford, Connecticut, and that is One World Wrestling Entertainment. So it's only a matter of time before Bobby V is involved at WrestleMania. Would you insist on winning your match if they booked you? John, have you ever known a celebrity to go to WrestleMania and job to anybody? I, I have not. Lawrence Taylor That's beat it. Bam Bam Bigelow right. WrestleMania 11. Floyd Mayweather, the big show couldn't beat him one-on-one -on -one at whatever WrestleMania that was that they fought at. Wouldn't even you take a bump. You don't pay a celebrity hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to come and job to some loser with a with a uh, you know pair of tights on. It doesn't happen that way, John. You're looking at to get Bobby V. You're looking at at least seven figures, and I ain't taking one bump. All right, Vince, I hope you're writing that down. He's available, and you can probably get him at his office over at Sacred Heart, and you can probably have the driver get you over there in 10 minutes. Huh? That's right. And having said that, John, I'm going to have to let you go now, but uh, I really do enjoy you letting me come back on here and interact with your fans once again. Make sure you tell my boy Pete M. in Watertown that he can suck it. Uh, uh, none of his questions entertained me last year, and uh, I don't ever want to hear from that guy again. All right? He is engaged now. Would you like to be invited to his wedding? Uh, as a matter of fact, John, I have already been invited to officiate his wedding because I don't know if you know it, but you I are. I you am are. Of That's peace. right. I can do that. Okay. So we'll set that up. We will, I will set be that up. I'm him, you. man and wife, with the young lady that he is engaged to. Very good. Well, uh, we told you when you left Boston that it was an open door, and I hope you understand just how much we meant that as you've come back several times since. And I will never be back, John. <laughs> I'm never coming back after this. Well, good luck next football season. You might as well go win the, uh, the BCS championship now. BCS rankings are about as uh, corrupt as I deserve, so that sounds fantastic to me. All right, that was Bobby Valentine coming on to set the record straight on 9-11 once and for all. And, Brian, I really feel like we, we covered a lot of ground here tonight. I feel like we righted a lot of the problems of the world. I mean, we more or less put 9-11 to bed. We took care of the Qatar situation. <laughs> we put 9-11 uh, to bed yeah. 13 years later. Right. Which is good Somebody had to do good. it. Yep, nice job. All right. That was great to have Bobby back on. Great to hear from him. And, and good to be back in the saddle here with you here. And, and you know, let's make sure we, we don't have another, you know, seven months. Between yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So get, get in touch with us with some ideas that you have for stuff you want to do. If you ever want to be on the show, let us know. And we definitely want to get the ball rolling on this a little bit again. So thank you so much for listening. Friends of the show to the Friends of the Show podcast.